Creative Council 55, how to run a successful art business with artist Jenny Gao. Welcome to Creative Council with Brittany Rattel. I'm your host, Brittany, an attorney for creatives who believes in solid contracts and cute office supplies, and who wants to empower you to be a more confident business owner. Whether you're a creative, influencer, maker, artist, shop owner, or content creator, you are not just a blank. You are a real bona fide business owner. So let's help you own your business and get you legally legit with Brit. Thank you so much for being here. I am so excited to share our episode today. I have on here Jenny Gao, um, and Jenny Gao is a full-time artist, creative director, and entrepreneur. She specializes in large-scale projects, printmaking, murals, and public art installations. She strives to make the work that becomes the cultural cornerstones and community landmarks wherever it is. Prior to founding her business, Jenny um, was involved in for-profit and non-profit businesses in the arts, education, and in lean manufacturing. So through her interdisciplinary work, she advocates for creativity as a tool that builds connection, resilience, and community citizenry. So obviously, we are very excited to have her on here to address all things creative entrepreneurship. So welcome, Jenny, to Long Wit. Yeah, thanks for having me. Awesome. So, and I met Jenny at Alt Summit um, this year, and it was really great. We just we we happened to get talking in, in the lobby about stuff, and I thought, you know, within minutes of meeting her, I thought, well. I need to have her on the podcast. This definitely needs to, um, to happen. And I'm especially interested to hear about the space that you're in, because I think um, especially the role of public art and large scale art projects um, are a little different, you know, from people who might be who work in smaller mediums. But I think it's a really interesting um, discussion. And so why don't you start out and kind of tell us a little bit about how you got to be doing what you do today, your kind of creative origin story. Yeah, definitely. So you already gave a very good background on uh, on the experience that, that I had leading into this and um, and you know I, uh, I've been an artist for a long time I was definitely one of those kids who wanted to become an artist and I really just didn't uh, have a lot of examples of how that could be in the cards for me uh, based on my family background, socioeconomic background and uh, where I was growing up in semi-rural Kansas uh, but the, the arts were always the thing that felt most aligned with who I was. And so by the time I got to school, I did choose to study the arts. And um, and in each of the uh, industries that I worked in following my studies, I repeatedly saw what, what I've come to understand as the creative gap, the creativity gap. And um, you know, I worked in Milwaukee Public Schools. And Milwaukee Public Schools is known to be one of the ones with the worst achievement gaps and the highest segregation. And, uh, and right there, lack of creative education um, and creative opportunities in those schools is tied with the achievement gaps that we see and the inequity that we see. I worked in manufacturing and the same thing there. You know, here in manufacturing, we have one of the most revolutionary uh, things in, in the history of humankind and, and us being able to make things on a mass scale. That's incredible. Uh, but what we've seen happen in the manufacturing industry and, and what's killed off uh, a lot of a lot of it in the U.S. is a lack of investment in the people and in creativity and autonomy to continue building uh, what should be really revolutionary cornerstones of, of who we are and what we make as a country. So those were a lot of the things that uh, fed into uh, why I, I ultimately decided four and a half years ago to quit my corporate job and pursue building a business in the arts and um, and and to take the skill sets that I'd gained from working in education, from working in corporate, to build something that would actually be viable. And uh, and as far as um, as far as what guided me into the areas of work that I wanted to do, so. 
so I knew that education was important to me, and and I knew that that creating better access to the arts was important. These these needed to be a part of the foundation of the business that that I built, and uh, and my background was in printmaking, so uh, so it remains a big part of what I do, and it set this tone that that the work I make uh, tends to be very democratic. So with printmaking, it's about sharing a mass message. You can make a lot of the same image, and you can produce this information and share it with a lot of people. And uh, with with public art and with murals, these are works that are in shared spaces. And by virtue of investing in art in spaces that people share, we are encouraging the people in those environments to become stewards of their surroundings. So that's really what led me into um, into that work, that, that ideology. Yeah, that's I, I, I love how you've seen and, you know, and now, you know, being this and a lot of obviously comes in Monday morning quarterbacking and be able to reflect backwards. But you've seen this common thread of where um, where you you had talents, where you had passions and where, like you said, you kept on seeing a creative gap, even though it was across different industries. It was across different the institutions that you found yourself working with. Um, but I love your reflection on how there is so much to be said for giving individual and personal autonomy to be able to problem solve, to be able to apply mm-hmm. creative creativity to whatever their problems are. And that's not necessarily that means that everyone needs to take up acrylic painting. You know, that does mean that right. some people yeah. just want to have a more creative experience with the way that they're performing their job function with whatever they're creating and producing. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's awesome. I love, um, so tell me about, I mean, what was it like when you decided to make that leap? I mean, were, um, you know, did you, did you have a family? Uh, what did your family think? What did your friends think? Did you have a nesting yeah. built up? I mean, walk me through because that's, um, that, that, that's a big leap for a lot of people. Yeah, it is, uh, terrifying. I, you know, I, I knew that it was coming and even so I had an existential crisis the week following and, uh, you know, like, and what I recommend to everybody, one, um, like, yes, I, I, I did have a, a runway saved up. So, so I'd been planning for some time and, and the reality of it is one way or another, you're going to need to fund whatever your big leap is. And, and, and that's something that scares a lot of people, but it comes down to having spreadsheets, having a budget and knowing what your lifestyle costs and what you can go without in order to be able to invest the time and the resources into building what you want to build. Because otherwise you, uh, you're just going to end up applying for another job right away if you don't give yourself that time and space or you're going to sign up for a project that really isn't suited for you, uh, yes. which also isn't the point. So, so yes, like I, I, I had, um, I planned um, in advance. I would saved up enough for me to be able to do this. And then um, I, I spent a week just really just writing and focusing on what the goals of this endeavor really were. You know, like, and, and I knew um what a lot of that was and how it felt just in leading up to quitting my job, but just to actually take like one week to do nothing else, but say this right here is what I am here to do. And, and what some of my goals were in that upcoming year. About, oh, uh, I love yeah. that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love that. This is what I am here to do and making mm-hmm. purposely putting that white space in your life, in mm-hmm. your calendar right there to know that you, you needed that to have that really big picture planning. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
Okay, so that's awesome. So you did that was your your step two. You you funded it and you were realistic about um, about what your lifestyle was. You made friends with your numbers. You weren't afraid to dig into yeah. those and yeah. and really confront that. And then you know and you knew what you wanted to do and probably just as importantly what you didn't want to do or what you in- weren't interested in. Like you talked about, you had a vision of what projects were not going to be a good fit for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that can be harder, you know, especially at the beginning where you don't necessarily know yet. And people are going to ask you about all different types of things along the way. And, and, and sometimes you get it wrong. Sometimes you sign up for a gig that, that isn't suited to you. Um, you'd ask also just about like general support. And I'd say that, uh, among my friend group, um, people were supportive. There were definitely some who like came out later and said that like, weren't sure it was going to work. Um, but you know, like, and so you're like, okay, well, you didn't tell me that at the time. So thank you for, for not telling me that at the time. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, like they're definitely the, the naysayers as well. And, and I want to say to folks to be prepared for that. Uh, my family, like even now, like I've been doing this four and a half years, there's still some like, what on earth are you doing? You know, and I've got like interns and like, you know, like people like working with me and like contractors and, but, uh, but you know, because like for, for a lot of, uh, people and like starting, uh, starting a business, giving up a secure job, uh, seems like the antithesis of, of what you should want to do. And for myself, you know, I'm a first generation American and for my family, uh, like, Basically, what I got as uh, a full-time corporate job with the salary and the benefits, this was something that uh, was almost impossible for my parents to ever even like imagine being able to get, right? So, uh, so to leave that behind for the unpredictability of starting a business, uh, that, that, was, that was tough, and, it's, and, and it was a tough sell. And uh, fortunately, you know, once you're an adult, like nobody can really stop you. Uh, but just be prepared that that not everyone in your close network will be supportive or understand like even if they are supportive that like they may not understand and that's okay yeah that's absolutely okay mm-hmm. yeah but, yeah i've heard the advice said that for people who um you know they they wouldn't be able to um, they basically, they wouldn't be able to have the right or to support you if things go great. You shouldn't be listening to that much if they're worried about things going wrong. You know, like if people mm-hmm. are that outside of your inner wist where they're, they really don't have a stake in the game, then it doesn't really matter that much, you know, their, right, their opinion. Right. So, um, yeah. Yeah, no, I think that that's that's really smart. What you said It's just be prepared for that, and and probably recognize that it comes from a place of love. And as you said, especially being you know first generation American, and the American dream is having that stability and having that growth and being able to have that and then to walk away. Um, that reminds me a lot of what Nicole Walters um, she talks about and has a podcast because it's the same thing. Her parents were from um, or African immigrants, and they were like, "What you know, daughter, you had the corporate job. Like, why?" <laughs> We don't understand why you'd walk away from that. But um, Mm -hmm. for her, you know, it worked out. And for a lot of people, it works out. But they they have to know themselves and know that there is, yeah, there there is a a, a faith leap there for sure. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, okay. So I love that. So you you made the leap. You got going. What, um, how did you get, start getting your first work? And what did that look like? And how did you kind of develop your, um, your style and know where you wanted to work and how, um, kind of walk us through that process. Yeah, for sure. So, um, so the big thing was just showing up to a lot of things, right. And, uh, and I'm, I'm a big believer in the saying that showing up is half the battle and sometimes it's more than half the battle. And just by virtue of no longer having my 
full-time job, which was much more than 40 hours a week, uh, I, I had the time to, to go to these networking events, to go and meet with people, to sign up for different groups and, um, and, and to see where I fit in the space and, and what I had to offer that, uh, that wasn't there. And so, yeah, I just, I, I went to a ton of events, like both art events, art related events, and also non-art events, entrepreneurial events, um, startup events, events that I, I don't think a lot of artists think about going to, right? And this is something like, like the arts like tends to be very insular and like even a bit inbred. And, uh, and like, and I encourage all artists like, look, like there are so many other types of meetups that you can go to or types of workshops that you can go to that are outside of the arts and go to them, right? Like accountants, like the accountants don't only have other accountants as their clients. Artists cannot only have other arts professionals as their clients. Yes. Oh, you know? that's so smart. So, yeah. You yeah. got it. You got to widen the pool and know that there's a lot of, there's strength and perspective and lessons being that you can share across. And just because, you know, you, you have art clients and someone else has real estate clients doesn't mean that there's a lot that's similar about your businesses, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And along the way, like you'll, like there's going to be a little bit of trial and error with it. And you're going to figure out which things are worth continuing to go to and which ones aren't. And, and that's going to depend on the type of work that, that you do and what, uh, what spaces they fit in, right? So for me, like, like I do public works, I do large scale works, it's going to make sense for me to go somewhere where there are people who are representing larger industries, it makes sense for me to network with architects, right? So, so these are, so these are some of the things that, that, that you can uh, keep in mind as, but like at the beginning, you just like things that sound interesting, things that sound like they're aligned with kind of like how you think and what you care about, like, yeah, like go to them, go and just start meeting people. And you're going to figure out what is and is not worth your time pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's that's yeah. really smart. So yeah, so so get out there, guys. You know, don't don't be afraid to hit the pavement and hit the meetings and to have you know have your little cup of coffee and your you know your Costco muffin at the back of the room, whatever you need to do, and walk around and chat with people, yeah. open up your mouth, yeah. yeah, and reach out directly to people. You know, like like send an email, call someone, and this is something like you know I think like it's so easy to just like sit uh, at our desks and to plan indefinitely. Um, or to think that like people aren't open to it, but the th- reality is most people are pretty open to a, a meeting to connect with somebody, and uh, and whether it's like somebody like like a, a colleague of yours, and you're like, hey, like how do you go through this, or or somebody who may be a potential mentor, right? And I think it's because all of us have recognized that somewhere along the way, other people did that for us, and so we all pay it forward, right? So like, and I know that too that people now reach out to me, and I'm like, yeah, sure, like here, like. Like, here's, here's what I do in this scenario. And, and, and we're all a part of that ecosystem. So just, but really participating, like I can't stress participating enough. Um, as far as like art and, um, and my style goes, you'd also asked about that. And, uh, you know, like I, I've been an artist for a while. So like, I, I didn't really need to like develop something from scratch when I quit my job. I just needed to get myself that time to be able to focus on it. Cause I realized that if I continued growing in my corporate career, I wasn't going to be uh, and an active artist anymore. Uh, but you know, like I, like I'd studied the arts, I'd already been actively showing for, for a number of years. And, and so I, I knew that space, um, it was more a question of like, how do I make this viable for me? And, and in the time that I quit, like I, I, I was able to give myself that time to, to focus and to, to 
build and refresh my portfolio, right? So like I, I, one of my first goals was that I wanted to do a couple of art residencies and I applied for art residencies and I got two in Buenos Aires and in uh, Chile. And, uh, and so I went abroad, I got out of my physical space and I just gave myself a couple of months just to make artwork and to let my mind be distant from all of the noise of my daily life. And, and that kind of, that helped me to like recalibrate and reset and know like, okay, like this is what I'm doing. And I had a fresh body of work when I came back, I had a show lined up before I went on the residencies as well. And I came back with all of this new work ready for a solo show. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love, and I love the thought of getting abroad too. Every time I've traveled, it's, I've always been grateful because it's not just about, you know, what you see and the foods you eat, but you know, just taking in the widening your horizons and, you know, just looking mm-hmm. at things in a fresh new perspective. Um, yeah. Can do wonders yeah. for the soul and obviously do wonders for your creativity and that creative spirit. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. So um, how would you answer, you know, because I'm interested that you knew because it was art was still something that you were continuing to do on the side in corporate. Um, how would you answer, you know, the claim or the warning from some that would say, hey, the quickest way to kill your passion project is to be making money from it or to have to monetize it? Um, how were you approaching or how have you tried to keep that love and that passion alive now that this is your full time, um, you know, what you do to provide for yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Uh so I'd say that boundaries are important, boundaries and setting expectations, because if somebody feels like making money from their craft is killing their love of that craft, to me, that indicates that they haven't set proper, proper boundaries for themselves and what they create and for what they are willing to do for a client. So it's, it's the kind of thing like, like a client may come to me and say like, well, we really want our logo painted big on this wall. I'm like, well, that's not really what I do. Like there, there are sign painters, there are calligraphers, there are other people who do that and I can refer you to them. That's not what I do. Right. So like, like my portfolio is online and it's up to date. Like people can see my style. They know that when they come to me, they're not buying an Andy Warhol. They're not buying uh, something from like, like another artist are buying something from Jenny Gao and they're going to get a Jenny Gao. And they, and that right there is like, like that determines already upfront who should even be asking to work with me. Right. Um, and you know, like for me, like being able to do client work expands what I'm able to do as an artist. It, it does not kill the creative spirit or the motivation behind it. Uh, like certainly t- there are times I get busy, but that's just for the virtue of being busy. That's not an issue with the work itself. And um, I, like, I have parameters that I set with clients as far as what I do and what I don't do. I always start client meetings with a discussion about what it is that they value, what are their values, what are their beliefs, what do they want represented in a mural, for instance, in a custom piece. I keep things in the abstract and then I use that to feed the designs that I then create, right? So that so it's still dictated by the parameters of my process, my creative process. Um, and then just as far as like any work that I develop to sell, like if I sell prints or something, if I sell originals of things that I produce in the studio, I have a percentage of my time that I dedicate to the studio outside of client projects. It's the same as a company, a big company having an R and D department. Right. So, so I, I can protect that time. And the thing is, if I were working 40 or more hours a week at a day job, I couldn't do that. Right. I couldn't do that. And 
I, I certainly couldn't be tackling projects on the scale that I am if I were tied with a, with a full-time job for somebody else. So I think it's just a question of looking at what we truly think the limits are because, like, frankly, somebody paying me to make art is not the limitation, right? That's not what's killing my, my creativity. That is an investment in me being able to do this full-time. Mm. Mm. I really like that. I really like you yeah, flipping the script on that. So, And I think that's a really, um, as you said, you know, go put the honest on the artist, on the creative to be thoughtful about boundaries, to be thoughtful about your process and, you know, to be doing things like tracking your time. It doesn't do any good to be setting out and blocking your calendar if you're not being thoughtful and careful about, well, how much time does it really take me to do a project like this? How much time do I need to set apart for getting new clients and new work? How much needs to be developing processes or, you know, learning new techniques or part of the education or whatever else Mm -hmm. you've decided needs to go into honing your craft and making sure that you have that wellspring of creativity coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, um, so, I mean, as this business is now going and you've been, had tremendous success as we've, you know, listed out in your bio and been able to do different projects. Um, what are some of the challenges that have come with, especially dealing with projects on a large scale like this? You know, you are, as you mentioned, sometimes you're dealing with larger bureaucratic, you know, institutions, government, big corporations. Um, what's, what's tough about that? Well, the tough thing can be the managing the timelines. As the projects get bigger, the timelines get longer. If there are multiple levels of decision makers, that can be really tricky to navigate. And essentially, that's like what you can manage on your side as an artist is knowing like, hey, like this is um, this is how many hours of work that I need or this is the cash flow that, that I need to have. And that like with your client as well, like, okay, you want to uh, have a project that's going to take six months or a year um and and not even necessarily six months 12 months like solid of dedicated work but just by virtue of like the back and forth the decision makers who needs to approve what well then in that case payment installments need to happen in such a way that like i can't be waiting until the end of the year to get all or or even like half of the payment right a longer project it's going to need to be broken up into more pay installments so that i'm getting regular pay throughout that time period and I'm sure your, your contracts reflect mm-hmm. that. I'm sure they yeah. do. Yeah. 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 And so it's just, it's just being conscious. So I'd say that's like the biggest challenge and, and like, and, and, and as you grow also like different projects have different needs and learning what things um, are standard to your framework, right? Like this is the framework of, of what a project needs and, and having enough flexibility for customization. That's the biggest challenge, right? Cause you need flexibility and you also need to own your process. From start to finish, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. And um, and then I'd say, like, in addition to that, just, like, some with projects that are going to take longer, sometimes the negotiations up front take longer. And uh, I think that this is a challenge for everybody who's in business. It's um, how much time do you invest in that conversation up front before you say, hey, you know what, like, that's this is kind of the limit of what, I'm willing to do, uh, we need a decision or else this project isn't going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In your yeah. process, do you typically, um, you know, give a proposal or a scope out things and then, and then give a number? Is that kind of your, your general workflow in terms of kind of back and forth of what a project is going to look like? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I generally what, 
what I start with up front is like, okay, like I can give you a scope of the project. This is how much it'll cost. And, um, and this is how long it'll take. And I don't like, I don't do any design before we have the contract. And there are definitely some people who have not hired me for that reason. But for me, I'm like, look, I'm not doing free spec work, you know? And like, cause you know, like I've had, uh, I've had somebody approach me and, and, and this was like, of all types of businesses, this is a venture capital firm. Like, like they, they have money, and uh, and they came to me and and asked me like what uh, what the work would cost. I gave them my quote, and they're like, okay, well, like, can you like come back and meet with me and my business partner with some designs? And I'm like, I don't do that until after the agreement. And, and he said, okay, well, I just want to let you know that we're meeting with 20 artists. I'm like, that's great, because none of us should be doing free spec work. I'm not like if you're meeting with like 19 other people, then no, I'm not going to do this for free. I'm not going to do this until I have an agreement. They didn't hire me, but you know what? Fine. Like that's <laughs> like, frankly, it's their loss. And like, and like they try to like make it sound like, Oh, you could lose this work to like one of these other 19 people. No, they're just, they're just trying to take advantage of you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, sh- and, you know, it's a shame, but like those 19 artists should know better. And if they were really mm-hmm. paying attention to their bottom lines and their processes, then they shouldn't be doing that either. And, you know, there's, there's a time for, uh, yeah, for yeah. giving and, and sharing with people and, and trying to get good work. And there's a time to respect yourself and your craft and your industry. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, like I, what I say to folks is like, you already have a portfolio, like, Develop what you need for your portfolio, but otherwise, like you don't need to creep on it. People can look at what you've done before and decide whether or not to hire you. And they're really just trying to take advantage of someone who doesn't have, who doesn't know yet. Yeah. And if they really don't know after looking at your portfolio, then it sounds like maybe they even don't know what they want, or they're not good at judging that. In which case, they're not a good client. Run and let them go. <laughs> yeah, run. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Basically. Yeah. Because there's going to be red flags all over there about, yeah, not, who not to take away from. So um, how have you handled, um, I know we, we talked a little about this brief, briefly, um, because having art in the public space can have some interesting um, kind of legal things that touch on it in terms of rights and licensing. If people can get, you know, photography on that, because it is going to be visible. It's going to be out. It's not a work that's going to go on someone's wall in their house and not going to be visible to the public. Um, what has been the way that you kind of approach that, that th- those kind of decisions and choices? Yeah. So with any type of work, uh, it's important to study up on, on what the existing laws are. Like copyright law is federal, right? Like it's not different state by yeah. state. And, and you can look it all up. Like, Oh my God, we live in this amazing time where you can look up anything within seconds. And I, I took the time to study, uh, study what, what the existing laws are and then to understand then like what, um, how contracts within my own region function within that does something seem fair is something actually aligned with what the federal laws are. If, uh, if they, if somebody, for instance, like a, a city contract, city contracts tend to be pretty convoluted. And, uh, and if, for instance, a municipality says, like, hey, like, you have to waive your borrower rights, your Visual Artist Rights Act uh, protections. The answer is no. The short answer is no. There's no reason why you should ever have to waive your rights um, to get something accomplished. If somebody's trying to get you to waive your rights, there's something else that they are trying to protect, but there's another way to do it without you giving up your legal rights. And so for for me it's just it's been getting educated on that understanding like how things exist in the public domain there are federal laws that protect public art and and there are laws that go into place regarding 
deaccession as well, like what happens with the deinstallation of that piece. And the way I write my contracts uh, are to protect and to reinforce the rights that I know exist, right? Mm-hmm. So that uh, that like I I know that I own the copyright of anything that I create. Somebody else may own the physical artwork, but I own the copyright to it. Mm-hmm. If somebody now, if like uh, a client is commissioning a major piece, like like my concession on that is like, hey, you know what? Like I understand that that this place might not always be here. This business might not always be here, right? So they should have the right to deaccession that physical piece if they cannot stay there, right? And frankly, I'd like on like different people take different stances on this. I personally don't want to limit somebody based on that. I don't want to scare people about what they could potentially be liable for right. by purchasing public art. Like I, I, I think that that their rights should be protected in that situation as well. Yeah, yeah. And, and and that's that is our goal, right? So so the, so just putting in the protections of like I own the copyright, I own the IP of this, and having things built in, knowing that things are properly documented once once they're up as well. I, I have good documentation on this piece in the event that someday in the future it no longer exists. Um, it does still exist in in a digital or, or reproduced form, mm-hmm. and um, and just going through those expectations with the client as well, so they know. Right. Um, so anything that is public facing, there's just there's there are things to take into consideration as far as who's going to see this piece. And um, the U.S. I would say is in a very nascent stage with public art, so um, so the things that we're willing to put in the public domain can be uh, can be made controversial much more easily than places that are more used to public art. Yeah. Right. So I mean, like like Maya Lin's Vietnam War Memorial is one of the most famous and critical pieces in Washington, D.C. today, highly controversial. Right? It was extremely controversial. Right. And, um, and, and that's, that's largely why we have a lot of debates around uh, what, what parameters we set in there as far as, like, hey, like, if something's unpopular, can, can it be deaccessioned, right? right. And, and, and have protections in place for artists. That's, that's why those exist. Mm-hmm. Because the popularity or unpopularity of something in that moment does not reflect what the role of this piece is going to be in the long term. And so in terms of just like how I navigate that space, there's always stuff that you're not going to know. You like, nobody's like, you're never going to make 100% of people happy with, uh, with something that that's in a space. Um, I do try to be conscientious of the fact that, Unlike in a gallery setting, a work in the public space uh, has has audience members who didn't realize they're about to be an audience, mm. right? Mm-hmm. So, so that's just something that that I, I try to be conscientious of. And if, like, so for instance, right now I'm working with a municipality on on a large public facing piece, and and that meant that we built in a long community engagement process prior to starting the design. So you're getting people's voices in this. And of course you can't represent absolutely everything somebody said. Like, oh like I want a bird in that corner, you know, like no. Put a I, bird on it. Like no, we're not like, this I, is not Portlandia. Yeah. We're not putting a bird on it. Yeah. 
sometimes you might. You know, there's nothing wrong with birds, but like, but it's just basically that you don't want people like dictating like every single thing that or like else goes it's, Yeah, into. it becomes a watered down yeah. and it's nothing. Yeah, so right, exactly, yeah. It does still need to have a voice, but like, but that that the community feels like that they had that chance to share their stories and and their input on on why their community is special to them. Mm-hmm. And, and that's really how I try to design the questions as well, to keep people in the abstract so they're not having concrete expectations of what this is going to be, but they feel like they're heard and they have been involved in that process. Oh, I think that dance there is really nice in terms of, yeah, keeping things conceptual and abstract and getting like the, you know, the storytelling, the emotion and the feelings of it and not getting too far too fast into concrete terms, into the weeds of what structurally, visually, you know, color scheme, pantom, whatever, you know, what it's actually going to look like. Yeah, so. Definitely. So uh, I really like that. And I and I love your discussion um, of just being aware and how much time that you took to be thoughtful and aware of the legal rights, knowing that I'm sure that plays a role into what your pricing looks like. And if someone is looking for more expansive rights and, you know, as you mentioned that you you keep the copyrights to that, but there's probably times that have come up in your work where um, if you do, you know, a mural for a business that's inside, um, but it becomes a focal feature of their business, then they might want to sell merchandise or prints or there's something that, you know, there becomes a larger role for that. And then there needs to be a proper discussion of, okay, well, what does that look like if they're going to be um, using that art for other things besides just being on the wall? So, mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And and the way that, that I handle that is is through licensing agreements. Yeah. And, uh, and again, like, I, like there, there are very few, few cases where, where you should be just selling this thing outright, because that means that like that it is no longer yours. Yeah. Pure like work for hire situation. Right. Yeah. 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 And, um, and so in, in a case where like a, a business commissions a mural, then beyond the, beyond that physical mural, there are opportunities to license that image and to reprint it, say on T-shirts, say as a as a label on on a tote um, bag like, for a library, a, yeah, a bag, yeah, yeah. So so yeah, lots of lots of different scenarios, and um, and that un, unless we're looking at quite a large amount of work resulting because of that, um, most cases a non-exclusive licensing agreement is what's going to work, right? Because on that, that gives you the right to continue using that, that image in other settings as well. And you want to make sure that you can, right? Like not just for commercial reasons, but you want to be able to send your images to art publications. You want to, like if somebody like from the newspaper wants to interview you, you want to be able to send them this image. You want to be able, you want to use it to, in your portfolio just to like pitch to other clients. Mm -hmm. So you need to have a lot of flexibility as an artist to use your image for reasons, both commercial and non-commercial. And, with a client, like they, like their goal is to uh, to promote and to uh, sell their products, and having something like a non-exclusive licensing agreement covers that need for like the vast majority of, of people who are going to ask. And scenarios, yeah, exactly. So, mm-hmm. which is why you guys need to have those agreements and get get yourself one of those agreements. Get a real attorney to draft one for you if you don't have yeah. one, and or to review one for you, whatever you need to do. Um, and just yeah, make sure that you're you're pricing yourself and you're being strategic about what are you what's in your bundle of sticks, and now what are you giving away, and that mm-hmm. the whatever you've agreed on for the project is in alignment with your vision and your um, and those numbers for that project. Yeah, yeah. So. 
Um, I, that's, that's awesome. And such, such important advice. Um, okay. I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about, because you've, you've done so much great speaking and thought work on kind of creativity and the creativity gap. Um, I was listening to something else that you talked about and even as creativity as a survival tool, which I thought was a really interesting take. I think it was in your, um, it was one of your exhibits in Madison, you know, the different prints that you did mm-hmm. anyway, that you kind of talked about that. Um, you know, what, what does that mean to you in terms of creativity being a survival tool? Can you explain that a little bit to us, that idea? Yeah, absolutely. It's um, the basic idea is that creativity is necessary to us even being here, right? So if we look at, at, at this planet, we have, uh, an estimated 8.7 million different animal species. Okay. And, uh, and like, that's not even like getting into like other kingdoms, like the plant kingdom, but you know, we, we couldn't be here if we didn't create. Right. So I just like, like life itself is a creation and, and every species manifests itself through different forms of creation. And we also know that, um, that, we, like we as human beings are not unique in some of the ways that we create. Birds build nests, um, ants build anthills and labyrinths underground, right? Like, like termites are architects, right? So we have all these different examples of animals that build things and are like beyond just building and just the ways in which animals use visuals or other uh, sensory stimuli, right? So you think about like peacock feathers, you think about patterns and leaves bees do their little bee dance to get honey yes bees do their bee dance exactly so all these different examples of of visuals and performances and and creation uh, that animals participate in and out of all of these different animals exercising creativity as a necessary part of how they survive and pass on their genes we as human beings are the only ones who actively record our information and the information of others. We are the only ones who actively create art. And that's pretty remarkable. So a lot of times we're, we're sold this myth that, that art is like nice, but not necessary. It's an extra, right? Like it's decoration. Like maybe people buy a painting because it matches their couch. Uh, But I would argue that it's, actually fundamental to who we are and what makes us human. Yeah. On like a basic, basic level. On a basic level. Yeah. Yeah. We're the only ones that create and record information. And that that share it and that realize that it has value completely detached from its functional purpose. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In itself. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's really, and that's important. And, you know, we're probably for, for my listeners here, we're probably, you know, we're preaching a little bit to the, to the choir because they understand, you know, they're, they are creative entrepreneurs. They consider themselves in some respect. Um, but from perhaps people who are still working, you know, or this is, this is a side hustle or this is a passion project and they're wondering, you know, how, if, if that's true, if it's so important, you know, how do I make other people appreciate that? You know, how do I, um, get someone to understand why they should 
pay paying a print for my beautiful hand lettering or why, you know, really good photography is important and worth, you know, to pay someone, someone good for, you know, what are the ways in which we can engage and try to share that vision with maybe other people who, um, think that, you know, art is still, yeah, is relegated to that kind of second class once you've taken care of, of all the real things in your life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I like, I think a lot of it, like there are, there are always going to be the short term and long term actions that we take, right? On the short term, we have to understand that, that there, there are always going to be early adopters, there are always going to be laggards and disbelievers. And we have to focus on who the people are who like get it. And, and that's what sustains us on a day to day basis. And in the long term, you know, we make our arguments and we may not convince everybody, but along the way, we'll see mindset shifts. And this is what we're really good at as artists is that we, uh, we can express ideas in a visual way that, uh, that is accessible to lots of people. And we can really transform minds. We can plant ideas that, uh, that other people don't think of and connect things that other people didn't realize were were related so um so i think it's just like it's it's the it also requires like a continual evaluation of the type of work that we do because i've definitely seen like some artists who get really frustrated that like that nobody's buying their stuff but they haven't really changed what they make or changed how they told the story Mm -hmm. right and you know at the end of the day like yeah we all know bad artists who are successful uh, but by and large, uh, if you if you focus on your craft and you and you keep honing your craft and and uh, and adjusting it and reevaluating it, uh, you will see the rewards that come from it. Right? Like mm-hmm. people like if uh, if for instance like your craft isn't where it needs to be, like get it where it needs to be. Like we we don't want to buy haphazard products, so we shouldn't be trying to sell everything that comes out of our studio. Not like we don't, not everything we make is good, right? <laughs> not everything should make it onto the shelf just because yeah. we made it. And, and, and I think that's worth remembering. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, and you know, do you think that it's harder or easier now that, um, that because we have internet, we have, we have, because we have the social, we have social media to find and, and find places to get, you know, critical response and to actually get critiques of our work and to be in a process where we can be really honest about our craft and about our process and whether things need to change or hone and whether they're hitting the mark or whether, whether they're not. I'd say critique is honestly probably the hardest thing to get. Yeah. You know, we, we live in in an incredible time where we are connected, um, hyper-connected and we can access a much wider audience beyond our immediate community. Uh, and with that said, like social media, social media is uh, in, in many ways a popularity contest. And, and it's hard to encourage truly critical conversations on there. Mm-hmm. And the ones that are, like, it's, it's hard to keep them uh, positive and constructive, right? Like you look at, like, any any time that you've, like, made, like, a political post, right? Like, how, how often are, like, the conversations that, like, follow that, like, good, right? Like, and, and if these people were to have a conversation in person, it would probably be very different. You wouldn't see some of uh, the nastiness that comes out, like, quite, quite as easily. Um, and and just, but just as far as, like, art goes, like, uh, it's, you know, on social media, largely, like, it, online, it's, it's, uh, it's promotion. Mm-hmm. And, and what's harder with this 
as well is that um, journalism, like, journalism in this country is is in a pretty tough place. Yeah. Uh, for for many reasons, it's like journalists are are under fire all the time. We also have increasingly targeted ads and targeted audiences, um, and and so at this time when we're hyper connected, we're also very fragmented in who has what information and who believes yeah. what based on what they've already read. Mm-hmm. And um, and arts journalism specifically, there just there are not uh, every day there are fewer and fewer people who are. Uh, dedicated to arts journalism and the reality is journalists journal uh, like papers and um, and the general media are not hiring arts journalists so most of the um, journalism that's written about artists tends to be promotional so there really isn't an ecosystem that encourages critique mm-hmm. and um it's like it ends up going one way or the other. It's either highly promotional or just like it sucks and it's like an internet like just like, troll. Pile, yeah, you know? just like yeah. oh, I don't yeah. like it. Okay, well right. that doesn't have anything right. to say whether you know was the piece doing what it was meant is it serving what it was meant mm-hmm. to serve? You know, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, which is a shame because art like art is so well positioned to be a a dialogue catalyst, mm-hmm. right? And we just don't have very good channels for that. Um, online discussions just tend not to be good for that. I'd say for anyone who's looking for a genuine critique of their work, find people in your city, in your community, and uh, and organize your own critique group. And honestly, that's that's what I do. Like I, I meet with other artists that uh, that live in my community, and we take time to review each other's work. We talk through what is working, what's not working, uh, different materials, and uh, just everything from like the technical side of it to the conceptual side, and that's. That's where you can get really meaningful critique on your work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's really smart. So is there anything else that you've, um, you know, needed to or thought that it was been helpful as you've grown your business and now shifted um, to find mentorship? Um, you know, what what things have you kind of been able to build in or if you found you needed to, especially on the business, you know, back end that people might not see, they see you and they hire, you know, Jenny Gao and she's the, you know, one who does the mural, but what's kind of happening behind the scenes to make this business work for you? Yeah, well, I, I definitely have mentors and, and I have mentors in, in, in all different settings. Some of them have been long-term mentors and, um, and other ones that, that I, um, that I found since starting my business and, uh, and I think it's important to have people who who come from different backgrounds and different areas of expertise because um, they'll, they'll give you different insights and 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 they'll they'll inform they'll they'll inform a practice that is much more multidimensional mm-hmm. for you because the reality is that like no single one of us is an exact template for how it should be done. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of why any one of us would also venture out to do what we do is because there was something missing in the market. There was something missing, and we're like, "Gosh, I really wish someone were doing this." So we're trying to do something that we feel has not yet been fulfilled. So, so some of that is going to be uncharted territory. Not all of it, but some of it will be. So we need that space to um, to be able to take in different perspectives, inform something new that we're building, and then also have room to add our own piece to it. It's like, you know what, I don't actually agree with this particular person who gave me advice. 
Like mm-hmm. I agree with him 80%, but here's the 20% that I think could be different. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, like I, like I have, um, mentors who are artists. I also have mentors who are business people. And, um, and part of that too is that frankly, there are not a lot of full-time artists. There's just art. And, um, and it's good for us to be talking to people across industries because different industries often have shared challenges. It can give you, a, you know, some fresh perspective mm-hmm. and fresh solutions that you perhaps have not seen. Yeah. And like, like you said, you know, the art community can be rather insular um, to its own peril, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of getting good art and being able to sustain that process. Yeah. yeah. And I think it can limit our ambition because the thing is, if you're only talking to other active professional artists who are in their own right successful, but you're only talking to each other and, and the person in your network is really making it is taking on $1,500 projects then as far as you know, that's what the market can bear. But if you go and you talk to somebody in another industry sector and you're like, whoa, oh my gosh, like you're managing $20,000 projects, you're managing $50,000 projects. And, uh, and, and just the scale uh, at which a lot of other businesses are operating that most art businesses don't, it just, it, it changes the way you look at numbers and what the arts can really do. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, for sure. Um, and then you mentioned you you do have now, you know, you have some helpers in your business, you have some interns. Do you have anyone else who's helping with you? Or how have you kind of managed that? I know that when you, you know, um, I saw it mentioned in your process that, you know, you make sure everything is mapped out before you ever, you know, apply a brush of paint to a wall or mm-hmm. something. Um, but yeah, how else do you, you know, what, what does the, the personnel look like to kind of complete a project or what have you found that's working for you to make sure that you can do what you should be doing and not the stuff that doesn't need to be done by you? Yeah, for sure. So it's ever evolving. And, um, and I'll say that like, definitely like one of the challenges that I still have is that I am a single member LLC, right? So at the end of the day, the buck stops with me. And, um, that, that, that can be tough essentially. Like when it comes to like any decision-making, I'm going to be that bottleneck if a lot of decisions need to be made. And I recognize that. Um, but just as far as how I've, I've been able, uh, to manage where, where I am right now, I, I reached a certain point when like, I was just, I was at capacity working at a hundred percent or more. And, uh, and my website crashed, my website actually got hacked. And you're like, who, who hacks an art website, right? But it turns out that, like, you know, there are a lot of bots that will attack uh, smaller websites and, and hijack them, essentially, and, and, and use them to attack bigger sites. And, and, and I was just leaving on, uh, on vacation, and, like, the first vacation that I'd taken in, like, far too long, and this happens, and I'm the only person managing the website. And that, like, for me was, like, the tipping point of, like, I got to get help, right? Like, this can't just be me. Just because I can like build and maintain my own website does not mean that I should be, right? Yeah. And um and and then from there like you're like okay well like these are things that I can do but like really anyone can do anyone can maintain my website right so like outsourcing that to a freelance person like there's still a lot that that I do with it and it's still the website that I built but like as far as like updates go and, and maintenance goes like that doesn't need to be me anymore. Um, photography I like, hate photographing my work. I've done it for years and I know how to do it. I'm decent at it, but it like, it takes hours, days out of my life. And 
like during that time, I'm not creating new work and I'm certainly not selling and getting new clients. So like, so with this also, like as far as like a reframe, like a lot of times when, when uh, people make that leap to be self-employed, one, yes, at the beginning you do have to wear a lot of hats. Um, but two, you're almost like sold on like, oh, like it, like it has to like just be you. you. You have to show that you can do it yourself. And, and you're just like, you know what? Like I have no desire to be a freelance photographer. This person is building a career as a freelance photographer. They actually want to do this. So I can actually create jobs and opportunities and invest in somebody else's business. Oh my gosh, look at that. Like how, like how great is that? Like that's, that's a win, win, win guys. It's a win, win. And you're a part of an ecosystem now, right? So, uh, so that's like, that's where I started like, all right, I don't want to do the website anymore. I don't want to do the photography anymore. I like, there are other people who want to do that and can really flourish from getting business and doing that. And, um, and then from there, you know, like I mentioned early on that, that education is an important part uh, of what I do. So what, like where I am now, um, for any of these like mural projects, like I, I hire on a contractor team to do the project. Um, I, like, I always handle the, the front end stuff as far as like meeting with the client, negotiating, closing the deal, um, and, and doing the design. I've had a few projects where I've co-designed something with somebody else. So that's one option as well as far as um, sharing that workload. Uh, but in general, I'll, I'll, um, I'll create the design and then um, build out that team. And I've set the parameters like, hey, like this is like this is what we have. This is the equipment we have. This is what it looks like. And and I break up the image in a way that uh, that it makes it easy for everybody to just like jump in and, and do the work. And I'm hiring people who are skilled, who who have the talent and um, and, and can execute big projects. So um, so depending on the project, like I may have a team of anywhere from uh, one to six people working on a project with me. And um, and then with that, um, I, I started taking on interns. And then this for me has been a way of really scaffolding up the next group of artists because frankly, art school doesn't prepare us for this. It doesn't, and it's a shame. Um, and, uh, and I know that there are a lot of these things that I had to learn the hard way. I, I talk like I, like, like I know so much now, you know, <laughs> but like there was a time when I did not know this stuff and like, and I definitely like made mistakes. I definitely like lost out on things or like got taken advantage of like, and, um, and that like, I, I want to provide a, a resource that, uh, that can help others get down this path more easily because frankly the next generation has other hard problems to solve that my generation and generations before me did not solve so I need to free them up to do that by making this part easier oh I love so, that yeah, yeah yeah recognizing and and I because it's I it, it's true to the maxim of like new level new devil because I don't believe mm-hmm. the goal is for us to get rid of all of our problems because I think if you're chasing that you're always going to be disappointed because you'll get new challenges they're hopefully better and they're increasing or they're more interesting yeah. but but yeah, yeah, recognizing that if you can help people who are coming up behind you, give them an arm up, solve those problems, they can tackle more interesting ones. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, uh, so yeah, so like I, I try to design my projects where there, like there, there is that space for somebody who is learning to come on, and then they're working with me. They're working with other experienced muralists on a project um, with something that like like I'm using murals as an example since it's an easy one, but like in the studio too with with printmaking, like hey, like I've been like 
making prints and doing woodcuts for like a decade, right? I, like I got a lot of information to share and in that I can teach somebody the, the processes um, for, for how to make really good quality work. And, um, and then it's just, it's on me to make sure that I've mapped out that process so that, uh, so people can step into these roles and, and, and learn effectively. Mm-hmm. When, so, when so they there. can, it's, you know, yeah. replicatable, it's scalable. There's, you know, mm-hmm. there's, there's a step-by-step way to do that. That makes sense. So there's a consistent process. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. Oh, I yeah. love that. And so when you are, you know, whether you're, you're the one doing all the design yourself or whether you're having people, you know, parse that and do parts of it, how do you um, keep your work creative? How do you make sure that you're, um, you're keeping that good wellspring of creativity that you're not getting close to someone else's work. And I know this is something that people are asking me all the time in terms of how close is too close. And of course people will be like, well, I've heard I only have to change 10%. And I'm like, no, that's a lie. I don't know who, who came up with that, but that's, that's not how copyright law works. But, um, but what have you done or do you have any tips in terms of, um, just being, being careful and thoughtful about influences in your work and making sure that you're, um, you're having a genuine voice and you're not, um, you know, just copying someone else. Yeah. You know, I, like, I think that takes a, a lot of practice and a lot of time and, um, and research and revaluation, you know? So, uh, with, with my work, uh, like, like I tend to be very research intensive. So, so there are ideas that, that I know I tend to congregate around that, that, uh, that I like to center a body of work on and that like, I take that time first to write, to write and to sketch and to explore, um, and, and think about what it is about this ideas that's really compelling to me. And, um, and sometimes in the first round of brainstorming, you get some good stuff, but most often we have to revisit a lot because if it's something that came to us really easily, chances are it came to a lot of other people really easily too. Mm. And then, and then that's where that, that's when you can like look things up online as well, right? Like if you're like, Hey, like has this ever been done before? You can check. Right. Um, and like, yeah, there's like on the one hand, there's like nothing new under the sun but also everything that we've made is unique, right? Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think... Every, everything, I don't think everything right. you know, yeah, not every, anything is 100% yeah. unique, but everything's a remix, and no one's done it like the way that you've done it in this moment, in this way. Yeah. Right, yeah. right. And, and I think, like, like, we, like, there's not an exact science to how to navigate that, and I would agree with you what you said earlier. It's not like, oh, like, this person did this, and if I just change it 10%, no, 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 no. Like that, like now I you're changed the color. It was yellow, and I made it purple. So now it's okay. Yeah. No. No. no you just admitted that you copied. Like yeah. that's what that's what that is, right? Like if you say that it was something already, and then you copied, it's like that's different from like creating something, arriving at this idea on your own, and later finding out somebody else arrived at a similar solution. Yeah. If you, you right? all you did was scan it into Illustrator, guess what? That is copying, guys. That, that is, is not copying. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Absolutely. So so like so I'm like with you on that 100%. And that, like, yeah, like, it basically, like, like one, like, ask yourself how you arrive at that idea to, like, take that time, like, if you're not sure, to do some research on whether this has been done before. And and if there are some, like, overlapping themes, like, that's, that's okay. Because, like, again, like, you know, the reason that you and I are also able to talk is because we have a common language, right? We have a, a structure in place. So, like our goal as artists isn't to reinvent paint every single time we do a painting, right? 
Um, but we are trying to arrive at these ideas with a unique perspective. We can take inspiration from other things. We can look at what's been done. But our goal is still to arrive at things with a unique perspective and to, and to bring forth an idea that other people might not have thought of. Right? Mm-hmm. So it's just like, like intent here. Intent here and, and how we arrive at things is really important. Oh, I love that. So you you are so good at putting things for someone who's a visual artist and works in the visual medium, you have quite a gift with words. And so I've loved, I know that we are going to get so many great quotes out of this episode um, that I'm so excited. So, you know, get excited to be all over Pinterest. Um, but <laughs> just because the, the way that you are approaching this, the process and about what art means and what it doesn't mean and what, um, you know, how much meaning it can have to you and yet where it can have its place and not, um, I guess not, not the, the weight of it, or it doesn't have to be this heavy thing that, you know, keeps you in, in a box, but allows you to really build bridges with other mediums, with other parts of your life, with other people, with other disciplines. Um, and I think that you know, that's such a theme of your work and just your journey in, in this space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, I wanted to, to leave our my listeners with um, with a little list. So I think you were going to maybe share some ways that you can kind of be more involved in public art. Um, so, you know, people, if they're involved with their community, whether they're going to be the artist or they're just concerned and they'd like to see more art in public spaces and they're, you know, they're like, yeah, Jenny, we're behind you, you know, you know fist in the air. Um, what are some things that we can do to try to promote that and, and share and increase that um, visibility in our, in our beautiful shared spaces? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one, I would say look up the organizations in your area. Most cities and municipalities uh, in, in both rural, urban and rural areas have an arts commission or an arts board. Um, like it could be a statewide or it could be a city-based one. So I look those up. And um, different organizations are going to have different term lengths. My, like in Madison, our arts commission has a term of three years. Um, and so my recommendation is that like every artist join one of these one of these boards or commissions. Because you're going to learn a lot about the back end of how decisions get made in a city, how decisions get made as a nonprofit. Um, and you're also going to be immediately plugged into a network of people with a wide range of experience and expertise. Uh, city commissions and nonprofit boards try to get a breadth of different skill sets. So that right there, like, immediately like, branches you out to so many other groups. So, one, look up what those organizations are, which one aligns with you jump in there. Uh, two, if you don't have it already, get an LLC. Like I just like, I don't, even, I did like, not care. put Jenny up to yeah. that guys. I swear. I don't put anyone up to, to say, get legit. No, I just, I literally like yesterday, like I told you I was on a panel discussion yesterday for a creative economy week. It's creative economy week, everybody. Um, and I literally made all the artists in that room, raise their right hand and take a pledge with me that they were all going to learn they were all going to get an LLC and they were going to learn how to read and negotiate a contract. Oh, so I are, love that yeah. so, yeah. so much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm sure it will save you a lot of headache too. Like, yes. like people coming to you with things like I signed it already. Can I still negotiate it? <laughs> yeah. So, no, that, that is oh. kind of the nature of the signing is like you, you guys agreed and now this is the deal or people coming to me with their thousand excuses as to why they're not an LLC and why they don't think they need to. And they talk to an accountant. It's not your accountant's job, guys. It's a legal issue and you got to get your stuff together mm-hmm. so that you can protect yourself. It takes you less than an hour. It's yeah. less than one hour. Name it whatever you want. It doesn't mean that that's the name you have to use. But exactly. Like, exactly. An hour, an hour you pay if you want. 
So, yeah. So, join an organization, um, board or commission, get an LLC, learn how to read and negotiate a contract, especially if you're going to be doing large public works that, that entail lots of different interests. Um, get business insurance. It, like Since this is specifically public art that we're talking about, if you're going to be climbing on a scaffold or you're going to send anybody else up on a scaffold or a boom lift, get business insurance. Yep. And and this is also a, an argument point, too, with anybody who wants to hire you. I've had prospective clients come to me before. It's like, what if we, like, provide you with the scaffold and with the paint? Like, will it be cheaper? And I'm like, look, I have to pay people with business insurance and workers' comp. Like, what happens if someone falls off your scaffold? Right? And they're like, oh. I hadn't thought of that. It's like, okay, all right. People think it's just putting paint on the wall or just like putting like some nails up. Like, no, it's not, right? Yeah. It's a five. There are a lot more that I could give as well. Um, but really learn about the laws and infrastructures that exist and what still does not exist. So there's some like great resources for this. There's NASA, which is N-A-S-A-A, um, which is an arts organization that has a lot of data for the arts and arts funding, what public funding is available. Learn what there is. Learn like where the U.S. ranks compared to other countries. Because quite frankly, like we're last amongst developed yeah, nations. Yeah, we're not we're not doing great there, guys. Yeah, we're not doing great. We're doing terribly. And like you know, and like in like here, like here in the Midwest, especially, and like Wisconsin is 48th in the nation for funding for the arts, and that's after the U.S. being last amongst developed countries. So yes, so, that's that's like the shortest pygmy. Yeah, it's a, it's not an honor for sure. It's not an honor. It's not an honor. And it doesn't mean like, like I say that acknowledging that I've been able to build a full-time business and, and that it is still possible, but you got to arm yourself with this information. So know, know the environment that you're going into, know what exists and what does not exist. Mm-hmm. And know that you're going to have to be a part of your is going to be in an information outreach education advocate role in this space that the work is not going to come easily and there are going to be stakeholders and decision makers that you are going to have to pitch and convince of this investment yeah in this way yes there are and and you can only do that if you have done your homework you need to advocate and you need to do your homework in order to advocate exactly Oh, I love these tips. These are amazing. So, um, well, we're out of time and I don't want to keep you because you are a busy woman with all kinds of fabulous stuff and we don't want to put a stop in the amazing work that's coming out of your studio and out of your brilliant hand. Um, but if people want to connect with you, if they want to follow and see more of the amazing work that you're doing in, in the Midwest and really all over, um, where can they find you? Yeah, so they can find me at my website, jenny.org. It's just my first name, .org. Uh, you can find me on Instagram and on Twitter under the handle Jenny Gal. So it's just my full name. And you can also find me on Facebook. My business page is Jenny Gal Studio. Awesome. Okay. Well, and we'll put all those links in the show notes for everybody. But thank you, Jenny, so much for joining me today. I just, I love the discussion. And I think this is going to be really helpful, um, no matter of what type of artist or where people find themselves in, um, in being part of this fight, you know, advocating for creativity and trying to look across, you know, disciplines to find how creativity is good for our soul is good for our survival. Um, there's good stuff for all of us. So thank you for that. Yeah. Thank you too, Brittany. Yeah. It's been my pleasure. Okay. Isn't Jenny just fabulous? Um, I'm so glad I ran into her at Alt Summit and got a chance to meet her and 
bring her to you guys and just share a lot of her wisdom. I just love how Jenny just goes to the heart of the matter of dispelling the myth about being a starving artist um, and how to look at being a, uh, a creator of successful art business in your own right, how to support other artists in that, how to make sure that we as creatives and creators um, just support art in our communities. We, we look for ways to make sure that we increase funding on all levels of government um, with institutions and just make sure that we're, we're being good stewards in that community and supporting the arts um, and making it easier for us all to have these really necessary parts of our culture and our humanity that can be enjoyed by us um, and allow us to develop those gifts and also support ourselves and our businesses and our families. So all really great stuff. Just as a reminder, if you've been enjoying the podcast, which yay, I, I love that. I love when you guys, um, you know, when I get a chance to chat with you and you tell me you're listening and you're learning and you're devouring it and you're painting walls and listening. And I love all of that. Um, I'd love also for you to subscribe um, and for you to leave a review if you haven't done that. It makes it so much easier for people to find the podcast. Um, it, you know, gives it priority in terms of the different podcast players. And especially it allows it now that um, Apple Podcasts is uh, trying out a new searchable feature. Um, a lot of that, uh, you know, that search algorithm is impacted by, you know, the social proof that's given this podcast. And so the more feedback that I get from you guys in the form of those ratings and reviews on your iTunes really helps the podcast get out and be seen as a legitimate resource for people who are looking for these answers. And certainly, I think all of us can think of some creative entrepreneurs, some some business besties that we know um, who would love to listen to this and to use this information to help grow their businesses, to feel more confident as business owners, as entrepreneurs. So rate, review, send over to a friend. All of it is certainly appreciated. And if you haven't had a chance to check out our resources in the show notes, um, I have some of the links that Jenny mentioned in the show, as well as resources like my free business checklist. If you haven't downloaded at that. You can get the link to that as well as my other in my other resources on Instagram. That's where I post a lot of the free legal tips and tricks. And so if you connect with me on there, you can get access to that. Um, also remember that if you are interested in working with me one-on-one or just exploring what that might look like, if you want to get a better feel for me and hiring an attorney and what kind of things I offer, um, then please, you know, book one of those free consult times that I offer. Um, for now, I can still offer those 15 minutes. Um, I don't know if I'll always be able to in my practice, just as my I grow um, and you guys need more and more from me, which is awesome. It's a really good problem to have. But at the time of this recording, I'm still able to offer, able to offer those. So make sure you click that link um, and also make sure you check out the creative contract store. So those are my DIY templates. So for a lot of people who are just starting out or who just need some really solid legal agreements to um, get some goods foundations for the business, whether it's your website policies or an independent contractor agreement or a sponsorship agreement, if you're doing influencer marketing or an event release, um, all of those or a model release, all of those are in that shop. So also check out that link in the show notes or Google creativecontracts.co put that in and you'll be able to find it and peruse and take my free legal quiz on there to find out what you need exactly for your business. Okay. Don't get overwhelmed and lost in some Facebook group or Google <laughs> law school, find out exactly what you need and probably what you don't need and start, t- you know, t- checking those things off your list. Thanks again, guys, so much for being here and just your support of the podcast and your support of yourself. Thanks for investing in your business and what some may term the unsexy, unfun part of your business. But we here at 
the Creative Council podcast know better um, and know that, you know, investing in, in these business fundamentals, see what I did there, um, can be a really important part and a really useful way to you to grow in your confidence and stature and ability to grow your business exactly where you want it to take you. So thanks so much for being here. Catch you on the flip side.